Hey everybody, James Tiley, Johnny Fry, and later company. We we are discussing. What are we on the May twenty fifth edition of uh, Digital Bytes? May twenty fifth. You're absolutely right. Another month flashing through, James. It's almost summer, summer time. Absolutely, we'll be hanging out in the uh, in the beach house on Cyber.fm. The Cyberfm beach house in the metaverse. Yeah. Now- uh, James, you're, I know you're far too polite. You're not going to mention this. So before I forget, I just would like to bring um, all, all the listeners um, that are listening to us today. Uh, I'd just like to bring your attention to a, a really interesting map that you sort of sent over to me. Because I was just saying, well, you know, what countries do, you know, you, you've told me, you know, you have 140 countries. And, and you went to the trouble of producing a little map, uh, which we put in this week's um, Digital Bytes which shows you all the little countries and little dots and pins. And it looks like there's obviously a lot of people in, in America, as you'd expect. You have a huge concentration um, in Latin America, particularly if you look at the sort of East Coast. So you've obviously, you know, you know got some fans down there. And then I think Europe. You've, you've heard me say in the past, I go, our Cyber FM Latino organization completely outperforms all of it. It's amazing. Uh, that's all Cyber FM Latino, and that's why our our concerts that we throw for Latin music exceeds all the other. It's the map explains a lot. I kind of shocks myself. Well, do you think maybe we should start speaking Spanish or or, or Brazilian, Portuguese? You so think? you convert the Digital Bytes newsletter into Chinese, correct? Yeah. Well, we have we have Chinese we have Chinese clients, and one of them actually translates it in Chinese and. Um, we said, why didn't you send it, you know, do Google Translate? He said, oh, no, it's just, it, it's horrible. You can't do that. So we have a Chinese native um, lady, um, Sophie. So thank you, Sophie. You, you send it out. But interesting, they're not allowed to send it out via email because in places like China and I think it's Indonesia and Malaysia, you can't, you know, won't get through the Asian firewall. So they actually send it out on WeChat. Ah, um, gotcha. So yeah, so every every week, uh, Digital Bytes is sent out. And sometimes we actually um, cut and paste some of the Chinese articles and put it into things like Medium or into Telegram or LinkedIn. And we're amazed at the number of people that view or click and want more information for articles which are in totally in Chinese. Because um, they say, well, there's not that much content. We, um, we fought you know, very hard. Sense. Yeah, sorry. We fought very hard to get into the, the cyber fm is in china we we are through the firewall we're okay you, are, you got some you got some dots there yeah we fought very hard for that and um the hong kong and the singapore that area uh, the individual asian app stores for google and apple uh i think 10 cent I, I might be wrong but but we, I mean, it's a challenge to get through. But once you're in, I mean, it's, you know, kind of groundbreaking that what's not allowed over there and what is. And we're like, hey, we are, you know? Yeah, that's no, good. It's good. They, we but far just, exceed. Look at that map. We, we, we get past that one guy in New Zealand. Okay. You've got one guy in New Zealand. But come on, Aussies down under. Look, it looks like you've got someone in Sydney and someone in Melbourne. But no, no one in Perth, no one in Adelaide. You've got to get with it. You've got to start listening. No one in Papua New Guinea, you've got to start listening to Cyber.fm. But on average, you've get, you're getting 1.2 million listeners every month. And the, the people that do listen are listening for 23 and a half minutes at a time. So these aren't just... That can't possibly be us, off. right? Nobody can listen to us for 23 and a half minutes. Well, I, that's why I think we need to make the shows a bit shorter because obviously... Um, people you know will click off or does it mean they love what we're talking about and we're extending the average because you and i seem to rabbit on for more than 23 minutes normally i think we average 45 50 minutes right blimey blimey it matters if we have an entertaining personality or or maybe a less entertaining (laughs) well we've got we got brian coming up after um not not monty python life of brian we've got brian over here Brian O'Bear, I've done it now. Oh, burn. <laughs> Brian O'Burn coming up after burn. the break. Um, and he, he's going to be talking about, you know, how how distributed are some of the blockchains like um, Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, that rely on 
proof of stake and proof of work. You know, are they, you know, they could they easily be manipulated? Could they have control taken of them? So he's got some ideas on that and saying, well, we need to be careful if we want to have true decentralization. We need to make sure the underlying technology is truly decentralized. But but that that's after the break. Um, it should so, be as um, diversified as our map, right? It should. It should. You, but yeah, but you you've got a slight edge. You've been going 14 years and you've got 4.6 million people that listen to you. Yeah, we're we're boomers. Boomers. Baba boomer. <laughs> Baba boomer. Okay, so so this week, um, so 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 for those of you that aren't aware, so Digital Bytes um is is basically a weekly publication looking at how, where, and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used. And and digital assets range anything from sort of you know, you know, your um your crazy crypto, your NFTs, your ICOs, your STOs, um, and then through where we, a lot of our focus is looking at um, the digitization of real assets. So real assets we'd put in the camp of, um, you know, fixed interest, debt, equities, property, um, commodities, and, and right the way through to the, the digitization of, of currencies. So talking about central bank digital currencies or, or stable coins where they're backed by um, 100% by sort of cash. There might be 100% dollars or pounds or yen or and looking at how that can impact on business and, and society. So, so that's what we do. Um, this week, we've, we've done a bit of digging around and looking at blockchain in the travel industry. James, where are you going on your holes this year, James? Got any thoughts? Any ideas? I'm going across the river over to Florida, that's for sure. Uh, I've probably well, got a couple of things to do in D.C. and uh, North Carolina. I really should get out more often. Take the dogs for a walk, right? Well, hopefully you're going to come. I'm going to be in um, Washington, D.C. in September. You're going to come and see me for a day or so, I hope. Oh, we're going to party like Bitcoin's 99. <laughs> okay. But I was surprised when we were writing this article. Um, they claim the holiday industry employs more people than any other industry. Um, sure. But then when it's, well, that's what, that's what a, a publication called hotelmees.com. I reckon that um, part of their five travel facts you need to know. Well, I'm not sure if you need to know them, but they're certainly telling us. Um, but I suppose you think of all the holiday companies and the Airbnbs and the hotels and cruise liners. Um, and, and a publication called City AM over here in the UK, uh, they pointed out that the World Travel and Tourism Council um, reckon that the, the holiday sector, the travel industry, will reach 8.6 trillion this year. That's a lot of money. So 8.6 to go on vacation. No, 8, <laughs> 8.6 trillion dollars. That's that's what's spent on sort of travel and, and, and the sort of holiday sector. So it was off the back of that we started looking and said, well, you know, kind of if, if the market's that big, surely, um, you know, people will start looking at how technology... Um, can be used to make it, you know, more efficient, more transparent, and and sure enough, there's there's a number of different ways um, that blockchain is being used in the travel industry. Um, you know, anything from sort of you know reservations and ticketing, identity management. Yeah, you know, look at the hassle that's involved when you go and rent a car, James. You know, it, it's you know, why don't they have all your details already logged? You stand in a blooming queue for ages and ages, and it doesn't matter which rental car company you use. Um, you know, look at all the tracking of your baggage and it, your bag gets lost. And all of these things are, are just really simple, easy solutions where the information can be held on a blockchain and make it really, really efficient. If you keep using the same company, you'll get be part of that loyalty program. That loyalty program can be paid in some form of digital payment, digital asset, which then can be paid or used at the hotel of your choice. You know, And so it goes on and on and on. It's, it's interesting when you look at the difference things that are involved with you going on holiday and you start realizing that what you want is you want to be able to stay and use trustworthy people. You want to make sure that the companies that you're dealing with, um, you know, I had a case the other day. I, I have my elderly mother with me. I'd just come back from Europe and I booked a meet and greet. So you sort of, you know, you pay someone to pick your car up and take it away. When when you come back, they should have the car waiting for you. My mum's 88. And I thought, well, OK, I'll spend a bit of money. I'll have a meet and greet. 
The meet and greet company took over an hour to turn up. You think, well, what's the point of all that? Whereas if I could attract, you know, the company and where my car was and what was going on, then I could have perhaps, you know, given a little bit more of an earache and said, look, the car hasn't left the car park. You keep telling me it's left five minutes ago. You know, you've got to, got to give a better service. So, and, and that's very often the problem. When you go away, when you're traveling, you're not used to um, systems, procedures, customs, whatever it may well be in other countries. And you sometimes feel a little bit like a fish out of water almost. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you always find yourself shouting out like you had one job. And then <laughs> I mean literally, uh when you go to the car rentals and they and they you run into the sedan, it's like I'm sorry, sir, we're all out. We only have a hot hatch. You're like, well, what was the point in this? I use points a lot for the hotels. My particular right. favorite one, I rack up all the points and uh, I think I'm sending my son somewhere this weekend and it's Pretty much free. I'm just I re I use the points. But there's a, there's a great example of you know we've talked about this before using digital digital points using blockchain technology in the sort of rewards program industry. Um, it's a huge it's a huge market and but the trouble is is that it's okay if you use the same hotel chain a lot and get the same points. But if you're using four or five different hotel chains, having that interoperability. Uh, i.e. being able to switch between different loyalty schemes um, or I don't know, you've got your car hire and you want to use those points to rent a hotel um, or, or a flight. It's it's not always that easy, but there's some of the challenges. I know some of the tokenized loyalty schemes are, are successfully um, actually now addressing and I think we're going to see more and more people and not even realize, and that's the great thing about it, we don't need to know it's on a blockchain um it'll it'll just be seamless and it'll happen people say god it's a lot easier these days isn't it yeah and and you know if you had that interoperability i guess in theory right i'm tra- i could trade my hilton points for hyatt on a on a dex yeah well when, when, absolutely absolutely but but in in the article we, we we just highlight a couple and I'll read out a couple of those companies like Lockchain, B Token, B Nest, Winding Tray, um, Bed Swap. Oh, it's not Bed Bed Wet Swap. Bed. That's bed weird. Swap. That is well. Uh, Sandblock Travel Chain, Lock Trip, Travala. So these are all companies that have sort of developed sort of blockchain powered platforms. So um, I've heard of Travala. No, not I, Trafago. I have, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's a, perhaps it's on your credit card receipt. It's where your wife's been going. <laughs> Please, I wish more often. <laughs> go here, honey. Here, oh, yeah. I take a trip. I yeah. saved up with my Bitcoin. It is. It is. So, a, it is a powerful. It's a reward point system. I, I think is, you know, like Cyber FM. Same idea. Um, we we always wrap up the the underlying technology that's how you apply it if it's reward points it's almost why aren't we funding this now yeah yeah so lo- lots i suppose really in summary lots of examples of how the technology is being used in in, in a very big industry um and, and that kind of rolls on to the other article that we wrote um now, the it's retail of- right it's all retail For retail and and that's that's huge. The um, other part of your trip is you go shopping. You, isn't it weird? You go on holiday. I, I don't know about you, but if when I go when I go on holiday, I seem to go shopping because normally I I don't want to go shopping. I, the thought of going into the town and you know going clothes shopping or some of that, just no interest at all. Um, some people love it, but it's, it's not my thing. But if I'm on holiday, got nothing else to do. I'm I'm, ha- I'm very happy wandering around wandering around the shops and buying stuff that I don't really need and to pay excess baggage when i come home but that's that's just another issue but they there you go um but with the, we got some numbers there and they reckon the globally um the retail sort of sector is worth 25 trillion that's a huge amount of money but then i suppose not many days go by that most people don't spend something somewhere in in the retail sector and i suppose that's why amazon's worth so flipping much because you know he, he's managed to oh Bezos managed to corner a slug of that hasn't he and that's just online, right? I mean, Walmart is like right up there with Amazon, and you, you don't mess with them. But but did you see last week um, your, your Target in America, big um, sort of like Target? Oh, Target, 
They took a bit of a smack, didn't they? They had a bit of a bit of a the share price fell by twenty five percent in one day. Um, but but going back to the loyalty schemes, it was interesting. Um, we highlighted in the um, article about Deloitte been working on um, a, a reward program that is going to be interoperable, um, and th- they were looking to sort of get around this problem of you know use it or lose it, and and how using technology they can be more sort of user friendly um and available for for people and 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 again we we saw um some research that came out of 101 blockchain and this kind of answers the 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 very common question we get a lot of emails from people yes well johnny but but is anyone using this blockchain is there any real need for it um so we managed really pleased we found a um a picture um which covered um that small little company called alibaba in um, China and, and that even smaller one called Amazon or Walmart in, in, in America or, or our, our, our friendly guys from Ikea in Sweden or, or Aldi in Germany or Carrefour in um, France. So all of these companies are using blockchain technology in various parts of um, their industry. Obviously, all those companies are involved in the retail sector. Um, but interesting to see, it's, it's not just in Asia, it's not just in the US. It really is globally, retailers are using blockchain in a, in a variety of different ways. It is fun to point out sometimes, because there's a lot of bigger names that are using blockchain that we don't talk about. That that yeah. might be its own show or its own... Find one of those guys, right? Like, you're using blockchain. Everybody says Bitcoin is new. Right or crypto and all that is new. It's it's out there. You don't realize where it is. Yeah, but but the other one I thought was quite interesting. We also highlight um, a, a a blockchain solution called um, Tracer T R A C R, and this is something being developed by the diamond company De Beers. Um, oh boy! And what they've done, Sega. I said, oh boy. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Right? Yeah. Um, well, pro- yeah. Well, yeah. You probably got. You probably forgotten. You meant to buy the missus a diamond ring for Christmas, but may- maybe, um, maybe because you're going to have two birthdays this year, like the Queen. You told me maybe you could buy her a diamond ring on one of your birthdays. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to. She doesn't tune <laughs> into this show. You're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> um. So no, but just going back to the beers. What they've done is. <laughs> And this goes back to one of our soapbox where we were talking about NFTs um, or actually what we'd rather call them digital certificates. And, and what they're doing, the beers have created a, an asset, which is like a digital certificate for every mine diamond that the company owns. Now, if you can imagine, every diamond is going to be slightly different. It's been mined at a different time or it's a different size or shape or opacity or cut, et cetera, et cetera. And so what they're doing is effectively creating a digital record of every single diamond. Um, and that will prove its authenticity and prove that actually this is something um, of, of real value. Um, in the same way, um, we see with the um, luxury car manufacturer Lamborghini. Um, they have something like a 500 point checklist to prove that that Lamborghini is absolutely the original Lamborghini that you think you're buying. And if they can't absolutely prove it, and that Lamborghini is actually, it could be worth significantly less, um, or if you can prove it is, significantly more. Now, all that, all those touch points, all that data, holding that in a, in a format on a blockchain whereby whoever owns the car can then share that with whoever they are trying to sell the car to or the, or the dealer or the garage that's repairing the car or servicing the car. All that's really, really important to enhance the value of that asset. And that's similar with, with the diamonds. If if you're buying a diamond and you the, the seller can't prove that this is a De Beers diamond and this is its authenticity, then the chances are you'd pay less than... You might end up buying a better glass, for example. So so we can see how the technology of blockchain is being used in, in a variety of different ways in, in that retail sector. You got me thinking about Lambos. That was a bad move. <laughs> I shouldn't have mentioned cars. You you come out with all the hot sweat when I start talking about cars and sort of you know. Yeah. Do you miss Do you miss the sort of room room when you're in your electric um, car? 
I we took the truck out to dinner last night. Took the truck out to and, dinner. <laughs> and we went from where I live all the way to Jacksonville, Florida, you know, to try to get some, you know, we wanted to be classy. We went classy, but we took the truck. And the truck, uh, when I start the truck, I have a neighbor who lives in a different neighborhood, the next neighborhood over. Yep. And he'll text me, like, where are you guys going? That's how <laughs> loud the truck is. Oh, I, in fact, I got I felt bad. We came out of the restaurant after we ate, and there were these children hanging out in, like, a park bench with a little old lady. And I rolled the window down, and I, and I actually said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to start this truck. And they looked at me like, yeah, why are you telling us? What do we care? <laughs> well, <laughs> needless to say, out there is. <laughs> I was like, I'm not responsible for a heart attack that I'm about to invoke. Oh, they, granny. It was funny. They were like, what, why, why do we care? Go ahead, sir. Start your truck. I was like, I'm just <laughs> saying. Just saying. Oh, well. So, I do, no, I, yes. So, so sometimes you'll miss that muscle, right? They talk about the muscle and the, and the, the feeling of the of the horsepower. Not that the EVs don't have that. It's just not the. I say the smell and smell of the sound, but it doesn't have the pollution though. That's a good thing. It doesn't. I'm really not in it for that, to be honest with you. I'm in it for the money. Right, driving past the gas. I filled the truck up. It cost a hundred dollars. Wow. It was twenty three gallons at five oh five a gallon or something like that, and. uh I said to myself, man, it's been so long since I bought gas that the shock factor hit me harder than than other people that have been watching. So what's worse, watching the price of petroleum increase or just going out one day, getting gas and getting hit with a $100 bill when you're like, the last time I did this, it was $35. Jeepers. Well, you're going to. Uh, next time I think you get next time we go to Jackson. I think Johnny Cash wrote a song. I'm going to Jackson. I'm gonna mess around. You'll yeah, that was with another car. singer, right? Not a big gas guzzler. And for the listeners who don't realize, Johnny calls me during the week to settle disputes about music with his family. That happened. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I did. I did. I, it was uh, Barry Billy White Joel. versus Billy Joel. That's right. Barry White versus Billy Joel. Got my Barry's and my Billy's confused. My sister was quizzing me, and I said, "Look, I'm gonna. I know a man that can." And I phoned, I phoned uh, James, and you. Uh, well, I think you're right. You gave me the right answer, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, Billy Joel wrote "Just the Way You Are." Barry White covered it, and we played that on my Tuesday show. It was pretty interesting, right? Because you figure you got Barry White going, "Just the way you are." We have way too much fun. You think, we gotta... you think he sort of says, um, you're an uptown girl living in an <laughs> uptown world. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I digress. Well, we ought to we ought to um we ought to have the break because um we got Brian Brian um oh, Brian Burn coming. I need I need to Brian a beer again. It, that's the trouble. You come out with that and it just sticks in my sticks in my mind. That's really rude. Sorry, Brian. I know you're coming up after the break. Um and we'll be looking at distributed networks. Um, and the article that he wrote, which is and the growth of the stakeholder economy. So um, a little bit more of a, a technical article, but but very, very interesting and um, has quite strong implications for the underlying use of blockchain and how distributed and how independent it, it, it really is. But that, that's on after the break. And if you would like to receive a copy of Digital Bytes, um, then please just contact um, James Tiley at Cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry. We're both on LinkedIn. And we'll happily send you a copy of Digital Bytes for you to receive. Comes out every Wednesday morning, London time. Um, just looking at how, where, and why the technology of blockchain and digital assets are being used in various different jurisdictions and industries around the world. So that's what we do. So, James, we'll be back after the break, just after these few messages. Want to have fun? The next time you're in a computer store, set all the laptops to cyber.fm. Go ahead, turn them up real loud. And if the salesperson gets angry, tell them we told you it was okay. This is cyber.fm. Another day, another way with Johnny Fry and James Tiley. We always come back, but Johnny always brings somebody. 
he likes having more people around. I think he's afraid to be alone with me, really. But this time <laughs> he brought Brian O'Byrne. He's a research director over at uh, Kasai PLC. Yeah, that's Casey. right. Kasai, Casey. yeah, Kasai. Kasai. It's Kasai. Look, I got it. See that? <laughs> <laughs> Brian, well, thank you very much. You, you wrote an article in this week's Digital Vice, the 25th of May. Distributed networks and the growth of the stakeholder economy. But before we get into that, we we had a colleague of yours on um, talking with people who are completely nutty. Um, another <laughs> Brian, Brian, he was. I'm sure he was. He was either wearing it or he was saying he wanted to be um, on not Hawaii Five O. What was the other one, James? In the Miami Vice. Yeah, was Miami Vice. Yeah, Miami Vice. And he threw. I think we threw a theme song. Yeah, he had sort of almost a, a an epiphany moment, and he went from greed is good and all the you know loads of money in the eighties <laughs> and nineties to he now has become almost sort of I don't know a bit sort of cuddly, which is a bit odd because being a South African, and then he's he now about the community <laughs> and being embracive and, and thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? Um, but I understand you're the brains behind the show. You're you, you're you're the one that does <laughs> all, the, all the research and the analysis. Uh-oh. I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, I'm director of research and uh, we have a great team in Kasai um, <clears throat> with lots of, uh, you know, a varied background. In my case, um, I used to be an intellectual property lawyer in Silicon Valley um, working for Gunderson Detmer, which is a basically investor and startup focused venture firm. And I was doing all the intellectual property appraisal and analysis. And um, <clears throat> that's sort of when I first became exposed to crypto. Um, I was living in San Francisco, started going to Bitcoin meetups and eventually um, started taking on clients who were crypto companies. And uh, my interest just sort of blossomed from there. And over the last years, I've, <clears throat> I've really gone down the rabbit hole and, um, and uh, tried to bring some of that into Kasai and use it to direct our investment decisions. Okay. And for, for people that aren't familiar with Kasai, can you just explain just very briefly what it what it does and then we'll get into your article because i think what kasai does is very interesting i think yeah yeah so kasai is a um blockchain technology focused uh investment fund we're listed on the aquis growth exchange in london um and we started up um around this time last year um we were listed in november 2021 and basically what we provide is a means for investors to get exposure to a broad base of crypto assets um, and uh, basically provide that exposure via equity, the more f- familiar you know, type of asset um, for people who don't want to go into the getting a wallet and dealing with crypto directly. Um, what I bring to that, I suppose, is my background of, of research and understanding crypto. Um, <clears throat> and what we really try to do is take a fundamentals-driven approach um, focused on the real utility that is in blockchain, because you know we all know there's a lot of bullshit in blockchain. Um, to be frank about it, and I think that focusing on fundamentals enables you to pick projects that are sustainable and long term, and really will be useful uh, to humanity and the economy in the future. Okay, and so and these blockchain projects so do they do they all have to have a token or is it sometimes you're buying equity as well as tokens how, how does that work we're primarily focused on on buying the tokens themselves although we do have scope for doing some equity investments as well if it's the right fit um but yeah we focus on right. tokens um and you know obviously bitcoin ethereum the big ones but then lesser known ones are in my opinion um where we really shine because we we really do the research we uh and we really bring all, all of our different expertises to bear on evaluating these projects and so I, I think that again getting back to our our fund like we have such a diverse group of people i think that's a really big strength um for for this type of thing because in any blockchain project, you cannot afford to ignore one aspect of it. Or say, for example, you cannot ignore the tokenomic aspect. That has to be right. The technology itself has to be right in terms of the code it's written in and how it's structured. So all of these things have to be correct. And so if you neglect one, you do so at your peril. So we focus on basically covering all those bases. 
and uh, and that's really the philosophy we take. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so in in your article, you were talking about how the the the, the market's evolving and the potential pitfalls with um, proof of work mm. and and proof of stake. Obviously, yeah. proof of work is sort of a la Bitcoin, which has had a a bit of a drubbing because everyone meets. Oh yeah, but they use as much power as you know the beautiful country of Holland. Um, mm, yeah. or, or, you know, so that's terrible because it's terrible for the environment. The, the reality is, I think most people understand that um, a lot of proof of work cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, they use a lot of renewable energy, but but, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, they have limitations. Mm-hmm. But you're also concerned about proof of stake. And mm. if I could paraphrase it, you're basically you're, one of your concerns is, is that it's almost back to the 80s. He who with most toys wins. And and if you're yeah. not careful, you get the, the dominance of a few um mega whales as they call it oh yeah fine yeah. why are they called whales what's all that about <laughs> understand that yeah the biggest fish in the sea i i suppose uh, okay. <laughs> i think it goes all the way back to the pre-degen era yes yeah yeah um now we're you just know, degens now we're just degens <laughs> homo de- degenus <laughs> oh there um, you go <laughs> the whole new one. Yeah. but but obviously the worry there is yeah we're worried about if they collude and and yes and the, the, can you just explain what you mean by the 51 percent attack does that mean people yeah. over 51 yeah <laughs> yeah sorry attack, johnny you're out you know <laughs> yeah. No, I'm over um, 51, you silly stuff. I'm part of it. <laughs> so I suppose so in terms of proof of work and the proof of work uh to, to begin with that, the 51% attack is essentially where um there is a uh person or group of persons who collectively acquire 51% of the network hash rate and can uh, p- perform a double spend attack, which means that they can fabricate a chain which is not the canonical chain, they can um, uh, receive goods and services in exchange for a payment and then revert that payment, thus um, acquiring both the money and the goods and services. And so that's essentially the idea of a 51% attack. Um, and in this article, my uh, I, have, I have a contention, um, which is that basically there hasn't been enough serious thought about the incentives that underpin the security in both proof of work and proof of stake models. There hasn't been enough basic research and thinking about how this works. Um, So to take proof of stake as an example of this, proof of stake essentially is plutocracy. What it means is he who has the most capital in the form of the token of the uh, protocol and, and stakes that protocol essentially decides what uh, the ledger, uh, what the canonical version of the ledger is. And um, this is obviously a problem because it is the antithesis of decentralization, right? It is vesting, um, you know, authority essentially in a group of um, very, very rich token holders. <clears throat> the problem is that acquiring all these tokens, the assumption is that, um, you know, there are many, the markets publicly are buying these tokens and therefore, there is going to be a distribution of the tokens and by extension, a decentralization of the protocol. Well, the problem is that the way this actually works is that these tokens and the acquisition of them are subject to pre-existing distributions of wealth. And wealth is already concentrated in the hands of a few firms, a few people. It adopts a Pareto distribution, generally speaking, which means sort of an 80-20 distribution. So the majority of people have very little and the minority have most of it. And that means that the minority are in a much better position to buy up all of the tokens in a proof of stake protocol and control that network, which is obviously not a desirable outcome if you really care about decentralization. So I find that there's just been no conversations about this, about the fact that like most of the people who are buying, you know, many of these protocols, I won't, you know, I I won't name them. Um, but in many of these protocols, what you have is, um, sorry, guys, one second. There's just a phone here going off. One uh, second, the, sorry. The president is calling him. It's Vitalik, <laughs> isn't it? I think it's Vitalik. Yeah, Vitalik's like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> one Someone's seen through my, uh, my, my glorious <laughs> invention, you bastard. <laughs> Please don't FUD Polygon. 
<laughs> oh, there goes another one. Oh, Solana. Justin Sun, yeah, how can yeah. I help you? That was, yeah, Vitalik was telling me to get off the air there. <laughs> um, but essentially, uh, th- this problem is underanalyzed. Um, and, you know, I-, I can go on about various other problems with proof of stake um, that are sort of associated with this problem. But what we have is loads of venture capital firms who have been coming in and buying massive amounts of these tokens and therefore are in a position to have undue influence over the network. So it's, it, it, and this is underexplored, underanalyzed, because obviously people who are invested in these protocols would prefer not to point this out um, and not to think about this. And also, I think it's because they believe that there are no alternative models. People generally only think of proof of work and proof of stake, and they believe that that's the only options on the table. But in fact, there are other there are other models available. Okay, so but but j- joking apart, you know, particularly um, with, with DAOs, um, mm. decentralized, automate, automated organizations, and increasingly with DeFi, you got DeFi, decentralized finance, but. If it's built on a proof of stake, effectively, the whole decentralized concept could completely crumble because the underlying technology they've got could be dominated and have undue influence. Is that yeah. correct? That's what, yeah. Absolutely, right? It's building castles and cities on sand. Um, and I think that the only way that you can really address this is by going back to basics and thinking about how the security works here um and i think again that's a function of just doing basic research thinking about you know uh, you know the incentives at work and um you know so what, so why have why why do you think it's not being discussed because you're right you're right you're the first person you know i've been sort of you know fairly actively engaged in this sector since 2017 and mm. people say oh don't worry about bitcoin he's got thousands of nodes and Ethereum, mm. they're adding nodes, you know, every day, so it's all okay. Um, mm. But the base, the, if you look at both those technologies behind them, they are fatally flawed from a from a fundamental basis. But most people have tended to ignore that. What? Why? Yeah. yeah, I think it's just because they Bitcoin was proof of concept for decentralized money. Ethereum was uh, proof of concept, and and more than that, arguably now, obviously, it has. Uh, you know, so many people building on it, but it was, uh, you know, the world computer general purpose computation on the blockchain. So these are, these are, you know, naturally going to excite people and they are the first of their kind. And so they, and they're very popular. And so people, when they have something that is so popular and has network effect, they think, well, um, you know, this is, this is it, this is the one. Um, And they, I think maybe get carried away by, you know, uh, you know the the fact that they've had some success already, uh, but I think that you know, in my opinion, these are just uh, inchoate models. That that the real ultimate model has, uh, you know, is yet to be fully um, understood or or uh, yet to be made aware to to most people. And and you're going to have to tell us what one of the coins that um, and. <laughs> And I, I have to preface this, and I hope you don't mind, but we did edit your article a little bit just to, because I know you're a holder of this particular yes, token. Yeah. So we, we're not looking to advertise it, but I think it's worth pointing it out. Um, yeah. And it's Constellation DAG? Yeah, that's that's correct. So I'm a big advocate of DAG or a DAG advocate. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yes, we all these tokens. I've been, I've been very excited about DAG since a friend of mine told me about it many years ago because it seems to me to be the closest thing to the optimal model for a scalable decentralized network. And I refer to it as the next internet um, because it, I really believe it has that potential. It has that scale and really that it's the only network that has the potential to be this. Um, and with DAG, there's a different model called proof of reputable observation that is used in order to secure the network and it is a very lightweight, environmentally friendly model that essentially relies on uh, a meritocratic system of scoring nodes um, where they essentially are scored highly when they do the job of validating the network accurately. And then they are slashed or have their stake. They, there is a stake element to it, 
but they have their reputation affected when they when they fail to do their job properly. So it's a true meritocracy rather than you know a plutocracy or a proof of work model. But does that um, rely on some sort of dag policeman? Um, well, essentially, there's a it's a deterministic algorithm that checks the node clusters, check their adjacent neighbors, and determine whether they have correctly transmitted data through the network. Um, so there is a there is a sort of transit of trust model. It's similar to a web of trust model because nodes basically cluster around other reputable nodes and they shun nodes that are not doing a good job at transmitting data to, through the network. And if you look at the actual structure, global structure, um, it looks quite like a brain, right? The way it is structured has a dendritic hierarchical fractal structure, which is really optimal. And the inventor of DAG, Wyatt Nobman Flock, essentially did look to nature to solve various problems uh, in the blockchain world that had yet been solved and was inspired by, um, you know, obviously inspired by the Mandelbrot structures that you see in nature and things like that. So for me, it's just an endless source of fascination. I think it's one of the most incredible inventions uh, in, in uh, probably the most incredible I've ever come across in my, in my lifetime. And, and why, why hasn't it received the attention that you think it ought to receive? I think it's just distraction. People are still looking at Ethereum, total volume locked, total value locked, and all of these other sort of DeFi applications, which are all very similar, right? There's nothing very, like so many of these applications are really just repackaged under a different name. And, you know, they're built on some blockchains that are faster, so people migrate over. But generally, the fixation on the money, I think, has caused people to ignore the, really, the real breakthrough here, which is, which is DAG. Right. So if you want to get exposed to the crypto market, people are buying the, sort of the big market cap, um, the, the Ethereum, the Bitcoin and, and some of the smaller ones um, that they've been kind of left behind to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I should say, I believe there will be a massive calling, you know, um, when when the market, you know, we're currently uh, down it's underway at the moment, isn't it? I can't see yeah. some of the. Shite coins, dog coins, weirdo coins coming back from from this. Yeah. I think they've been caught with their trousers down. Absolutely, yeah. And I think I wrote a, in my previous article, not the one just published, but the one a few months ago. I wrote that I think I believe we're at the advent of utility season, which is yep. where blockchain actually starts to be used and adopted by the mainstream, and it improves business processes, increases efficiency. And I also said in that article that we are currently in a blind valley where uh, it's going to catch us by surprise. And the reason why has to do with the nature of networks and exponential growth. Like exponential growth only becomes obvious as a phenomenon when it's in its later stages. And up yeah. until then, you would, be, you would think that nothing is happening. And so in the case of um, these networks, you can watch a token's price just jitter around for months and stay within a particular range and it will seem like nothing is happening. But I think there is a moment, a critical sort of threshold that uh, token surpasses where it starts to exhibit externally, exhibit in the form of in its price, the exponential growth. And that's really what I'm keeping an eye out for now. Um, I, because these, the reason we expect exponential growth here is because <clears throat> these are networks. And yep. Networks are exponential phenomenon. They obey the power law. Metcalf's law is often used to price them. So I believe that we are definitely going to witness exponential growth. We are going to witness it in the projects with real fundamental value and that it is going to catch everyone by surprise. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. So I, I, I would strongly recommend um, some of your listeners to make sure you get a hand of uh... Um, get a handle on this week's uh, digital bytes with the with this in, with this article that you've written because um, it, it is a it is a more involved article um, yeah. and it, I think there's a lot of people as you say think that we come across this time again. Look, it's you, know, you want to get exposed to crypto by Bitcoin. Well, okay, Bitcoin by market capitalization at the moment, it, and it has been the, the biggest by market capitalization. But but the fundamentals and the use cases of Bitcoin are, are, are totally different to 
you know, and typically any other cryptocurrency. Mm. Um, and what, what we're saying here is that I think sometimes to actually take the blinkers off and look under the bonnet of how some of these blockchains, because that's the other thing, people just assume, oh, yeah, it's the blockchain. Mm. No, no, it's blockchains, isn't it? There's yeah. more than one blockchain, Brian. That's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. I like interoperability is key, is a key feature that, you know, we look for in projects because the point of networks is communication and they are more valuable when they can communicate with more parties, more entities, more nodes. Therefore, you need interoperability, right? Um, and with something like DAG, what's very interesting is that it's not just interoperability amongst blockchain networks. <clears throat> it's in fact interoperability amongst any data source because in DAG, data is the fundamental unit. And essentially that means that you can have LIDAR sensors <clears throat> in drones or cars that take data as input, validate it as it goes through the network and have a model, a valid model of the real world in real time. So if you think about things like fleets of autonomous vehicles, um, you know, this is precisely the thing that they would need to maximize safety, to ensure that they you know, can coordinate driving and reduce traffic. So the end game here looks something like smart cities, you know, where you have autonomous AI, you have open and free financial systems, access to capital, free flow of information, that sens censorship resistance, you know, so decentralizing the media. Um, only DAG can do it. And, you know, it, I know I talk about DAG a lot and it sounds like I'm just shilling, but this is all very much based upon long research by me and thinking and, you know, leveraging, you know, my, my background in even philosophy and, and, um, and, uh, you know, it is not a conclusion. I, I arrived at lightly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so you, and one, one of the things I think is interesting is you, you've, you've actually come into this sector very much from a, what would be classed as traditional training coming to this as a lawyer and looking at sort of intellectual property and the like. So mm. this isn't just, oh, you've done a bit of research. You're now a fan of this particular token. So it's interesting mm. to get your thoughts behind it. Um, yes. But Brian, before, yeah. before we go, I'm, I'm interested just, it's the 25th of, uh, well, that's the 27th as we record this. Well, what's your up-to-date views on the markets and where we are? Um, is is yeah. this, you know, are we now in for another crypto winter or, do you think this is good or a bad thing? We've seen a bit of a shakeout of the markets. I think it's a crypto autumn or a crypto fall um, where <laughs> you will see a decline in many projects um, that just aren't sufficiently useful, aren't well designed. Um, and that is a natural process, you know, and I'm sorry, it's, uh, it's a painful process too for many people, but, this is how it goes. The economy in downturns actually selects for the businesses that are the healthiest and that serve really useful functions. And so I think that you may well see continuous decline in many projects from here. But as I said before, I believe that the good projects are going to prevail and they are going to change the world. Um, and I, for one, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm here for. You know, those projects are the ones that inspire me. Brilliant. From the ashes, Brilliant. a blockchain arises. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> James, before we wrap up um, this week, have you any thoughts, ideas you'd like to bring to the table? I think it was a good talk. You know, we always talk about proof of work, proof of stake. Meanwhile, we aren't aware of a lot of other, you know, variables. Some And, and, and another word of caution, if anything, these projects have come out with proof of proof of sweat proof of walking proof, <laughs> yeah. you know those aren't chains those are just you know ideologies is that the right word word yeah yeah so you know alternate blockchain methodologies probably yeah not talked about enough i know constellation has mm -hmm. been around for a while but th there probably are quite a few out there that moves you away from your typical proof of work and proof of stake for all those reasons you guys mentioned. I mean, centralization versus decentralization. That it was a good talk. Yeah. Good. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Brian, thank you very much for coming on the show 
And, of um, you know, it'd be good. We will definitely keep in contact and be be good to hear um, how things get on. We'll get an update on, on on DAG and some perhaps some of your other holdings Correct, um, yeah. know, late, later on this year. I yeah, think absolutely. what we might do is get, get, get you on with we'll get you on with Brian uh, next time or even Jay, who I know is one of, one of your colleagues, because um, some yeah. of the stuff you're doing is really, really interesting and gives people a really good broad exposure rather than trying to sort of, you know, th- throw up sort of a, a dart at the dartboard and hope to get the right one. You, you're doing some pretty good research behind the scenes, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would be delighted to be on again and talk about that. And thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Right. And, and before you go, you're you're on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm Brian on LinkedIn. O'Burn. O- okay, Brian O'Burn. Yeah, O-Burn, and then also which is I'm on uh, Yeah, O-B-E-I-R-N-E. And Brilliant. then I, I'm also on Twitter at Brian O'Burn one, the number one. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, obviously, if people want information on Casey, you can also find that K-A-S. Um, E-I. E-I, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, James, that's that's another another show wrapped up. So good to be back on the air with you. And next week, um, I know we've got a, another, I think we've got Superscript, not Superman, Superscript on next week. Um, we've, got, we've got George Firth coming on, talking about insurance and how the insurance market is developing in this sector. So um, we'll look forward to speaking to him next week. But uh, Apart from that, um, it's uh, just ready to prepare for your bunting for, for, for Lizzie. My bunting for Lizzie. Sure, I'll do that. Whatever you say, Johnny. Flags for the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Making the UK great again, right, I see. Well, we'll be back. Absolutely. <laughs> Putting the great back into Britain. Build Britain better. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, we're going to get like that. I think we got that. We are, we are. Maybe, maybe Trump wants to come on next week and he can talk about it. That he would be huge. Put, there would be so many people. Only the best people would be listening. I tell you, it would be gigantic. I'm amazed I haven't had the Trump coin yet. Uh, one did. One did exist, right? I think we've all... There was a Trump coin, wasn't there? Trump coin. Yeah, it was probably Trump a rug to- pull. Trump token. Trump token, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was uh, it was sponsored by elephants. Sponsored by <laughs> they never forget. They never forget. <laughs> well, there you go. Blockchain never forgets. You know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, all right, guys. Nice, nice talking to you. Thanks again, Brian and Thanks um, so much, and uh, James. Ne- next week we'll be back on the air.